this is Beth. Hi, Beth. This is Jim Martin. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. So um, I'm here with Tracy Vandeventer. Hi, Beth. Uh, hey, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> so good to talk to you. I know. It's like old times. I know. Like... So we want to mention for people who don't know and nobody else would know that we used to work together in Salt Lake. Yeah. In Salt Lake City yeah. School District. What are you doing now? Tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days. Uh, well, now I have my own little coaching practice. I do leadership and executive coaching, working with leaders who want to have more positive impact in their organizations and uh, do a little bit of, I do mostly one-on-one -on -one coaching, but sometimes clients ask me to do some group management or leadership trainings for their management teams. So that's pretty much what I'm doing now. Very nice. And what an important, I think, what an important focus, because no matter what organization you're in, and certainly in schools, being positive, having a positive experience is essential, right, for things to be able to move forward and for us to have success in, in our setting. Right. And, you know, we all um, come from different backgrounds and uh, have different experiences and when we get together in groups, you just never know uh, how people are going to interact with each other. So uh, when you're leading a group of people, it's really important that you have your stuff together. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also think it's important for us as educators, um, speaking of uh, Tracy and I and people who listen to our podcast, to go beyond the education world because there's so much leadership work that is done in business and management and, you know, we don't have access to it regularly. So that's why we thought it would be really great to work with you because you don't work primarily in the education field anymore, right? That's right. That's right. But, you know, this, this never ceases to amaze me. And this is true in other industries as well. Industries tend to think that for some reason their industry is so different <laughs> and they think, oh, you know, our people issues couldn't possibly be the same people issues, you know, as that industry over there. And yeah, there are some minor differences, but when push comes to shove, um, we bring all of our positives and all of our dysfunction with us when we come to work. Right. Sure. And it doesn't matter if you're working in construction or financial services or education. <laughs> so I tend to see the same kinds of patterns no matter what industry I'm working in. Yeah. You know, our, our focus is to talk with people about little things that make a big difference. And uh, we're talking to authors, we're talking to consultants, we're talking to principals, we're talking to teachers, we're talking to all kinds of folks that are giving us their insights. But I'm curious from you, uh, as you think about education and about how we have some similarities, what do you think are little things that make a big difference? Well, I think little things that make a big difference and it's going to sound like it's a big thing, but uh, <laughs> it's hard to say it's little when people are going through it. But uh, I think first of all, knowing yourself as a leader uh, is really important because when you know what your strengths are, for example, you know how those strengths can really help 
in which situations those strengths are going to be most helpful and with what kinds of people those strengths are going to be most helpful and to the to the opposite in what situations and with what kind of people your strengths are not going to work they're going to get in your way also in addition to strengths knowing where not necessarily what your weaknesses are but it's good to know where your weaknesses are but where you're vulnerable and when i say vulnerable what i mean is Let's say that in the past, um, maybe when you were in your 20s, for example, maybe you got fired from a job for some reason or other. Maybe it wasn't even in education. Maybe you were doing something else. But you carry that shame or whatever with you. And you know that it's a vulnerability for you. So <laughs> know that vulnerability and be able to lean into it. And and be able to say, yeah, that happened to me, and this is what I learned from it. This is my takeaway from it, and turn it into a positive. And then also to know what triggers you. And when I say trigger, I mean when you go into whatever your particular threat response is. So whether you're a fighter, you're a fleer, you freeze, or you try to really uh, kiss up and make nice <laughs> and appease somebody, right? Know what your triggers are and what sets you off to have those kind of responses and know what the people are who set you off and the situations and topics that are, are likely to trigger you. Because as a leader, I think one of the most important things is your ability to stay as composed as, as you can. Um, and of course, you're not going to be able to do that 100% of the time. We're all human. But People look at you and you signal things because of your position. Everything you do and everything you say, and Tracy, you've heard me say this before. Liam, you've probably heard me say this before. Everything you do and say is magnified a thousand times. Yes. Just because you're in a position of power and leadership. So you really have to be so self-aware that um, – you know, you really monitor when emotion is going to be helpful in a situation. And by emotion, I mean everything from sadness to anger to happiness, you know, the whole nine yards, when it's going to be helpful and when you're just being reactive and you're not in a good headspace and you just need to take a minute and breathe. <laughs> so right. I think that that is a big one that I would uh, say for most leaders. And uh, there's, there's small little things that you work on over time that obviously you don't just go, okay, great. I'm going to do that tomorrow, you know, because uh, there are old patterns that die hard. Just to follow up though, I'm curious because it's good for us to recognize that we need to look at our strengths and weaknesses and be aware of that. Sometimes it's a little bit like asking a fish about the water that they mm. really just don't even know. Um, what tools or what strategies would you have to help people recognize that? Well, you know, the standard tried and true, there's the old 360. Um, so that's a formal mechanism that some organizations really embrace. Some organizations do them better than others. Um, so that's a possibility. But, you know, it's also finding trusted colleagues where you can uh, say, you know, um, I'm wondering you know, what was your take when I was in the meeting the other day or yesterday or two hours ago? Um, what did you notice when so-and-so made that comment? What did you notice my reaction? You know, what did you notice in me? So if you know there's maybe a propensity for something, but you're not quite sure how to even describe it yourself, it's using trusted colleagues um, 
to give you specific feedback in specific situations. You can also prep them for, you know what, I'm working on being more aware of X or I'm working on not being so reactive when, you know, this issue comes up. So can you just, you know, kind of keep your eye out and I'll come back to you, you know, every once in a while and ask you for your feedback. So I think that's a real effective thing. You've got to have those trusted people around you who can uh, kind of, you know, tell you what maybe other people won't tell you. So there are people who can be honest with you, but you will also trust their feedback. Yes. Perfect. That's a great suggestion. Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, I saw when I was um, kind of interacting with your LinkedIn profile is um, <laughs> I follow you on LinkedIn, uh, that you um, specialize in psychological safety. And that really interested me because, um, first of all, I wasn't really familiar with the topic. And so uh, it piqued my curiosity. And second, I thought, wow, that is really something that maybe we should be investing more time in in education because you keep hearing about how many teachers are leaving the profession and there's a teacher shortage. And I look around and I don't see a whole lot of psychological safety in our schools. And I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about that concept and what it means and how you approach it. Um, yeah, yeah, well, um, I'm relatively new to psychological safety myself. I've just, um, in early October became, uh, one of the first, I'm one of the first 18 coaches in North America to be certified in psychological safety. Yeah. It was kind of a thing that just came out of the blue and, and, um, I like you, Jim, when I started hearing about the concept, I was like, yeah, I got to know more about this. Um, and so back in 2012, Google was trying to figure out what made its best teams, its best teams. Like what did, what was it about these groups of people who worked together, were interdependent, you know, they had to do their projects together and they relied on one another. What made them better than the rest? So they started crunching the data on 180 of their teams and, you know, worked on it. They just couldn't figure it out. You know, what is the distinguishing thing? You know, all the things that you think, right? Oh, there are more A players on their team than B players, right? Nope, that wasn't it. Um, oh, it's people with more experience. No, that wasn't <laughs> it. People with higher education. Nope, that wasn't it. So what was it? So in their quest to figure all this out, they start reading as much research as they can, and they run across research by a woman out of Harvard Business School. Her name is Amy Edmondson. And Amy Edmondson, for 20 years, since 1999, she has been looking at, you know, teams and what makes teams effective and et cetera, et cetera. And this is when Google runs across the concept of psychological safety. And, it, and they went, oh, my gosh, we got to go back and reanalyze our data and ask different questions or whatever. So they go back and, yeah, by golly, this is it. Psychological, psychological safety is the belief that you won't be humiliated, criticized, ostracized, punished, whatever, for speaking up with a question, 
a concern, a crazy idea, or to admit and talk about mistakes that were made. Hmm. And so that factor, what Google found is psychological safety was one of five factors that made the best teams the best. But if you didn't have psychological safety, the other four really didn't matter. So psychological safety was basically the linchpin that you had to have in order to distinguish and have a a high-performing team. And so that's what psychological safety is. So what what makes an environment Tracy wants to jump I in just, with the no, question I just want to say so you just tell me I just everybody just trust each other I mean that's a yeah. big job to get them into that place thus you have a coach but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> thus I have some employment uh, so job security <laughs> I know it's a tough one because here's the deal I listened to you guys's episode on rigor mm-hmm And I remember the story, Tracy, that you were telling about wanting to share the great work that a couple of teachers Mm -hmm. had done in your building, the scores that they'd uh, gotten. And those teachers were reluctant even to share a positive with their colleagues. And it's because we are wired. We don't like to stand out, right? If you stand, if you're in a herd and you stand out, you're the one that the predator goes after, right? So, <laughs> so even today in the 21st century, you know, United States, we don't want to stand out for any reason whatsoever. And so, you really got to get people to um, to get to the point where they can see that it's okay to to risk a little bit in that way, that personal risk that they're putting forth. So. Working with leaders on things like, um, first of all, you look at your work differently. And I think for the most part, you guys probably do a, a good job of this, but raising your awareness around this might, you know, make it even better. Um, frame the work as a learning problem, like a series of experiments that we're not quite sure, but we're going to try this and see how it works. And then we're going to debrief and see what worked and what didn't. Um, instead of just we have to execute and make this happen, we have to reach our goal. So it's really taking an approach to work that isn't just, okay, you've got your marching orders, go out there and do whatever. It's really creating a climate where, okay, we know we've got to get test scores up. And so we're looking at trying different ways of doing that and we're experimenting. So there's like the expectation that there's going to be some failure here, but we want some failure because that's the only way we're going to learn. Right. So that's one thing. Also, as a leader, acknowledge, going back to strengths, vulnerabilities, and triggers, uh, acknowledge your own fallibility. Like, I'm only one person here. I don't know everything. I don't know every you know, instructional trick in the book here. I don't know everything about every topic. I need to get your best thinking. So when you're talking to uh, a fourth grade team or a, a freshman English team or whatever, um, to say, I really need your input on this so that we can, you know, design, you know, our next step here with what we're going to try out or to get your best thinking so we can make a good decision here. So acknowledge that you don't know everything and you really need everyone to weigh in. 
That's what. And then. Oh, sorry. Oh, go go ahead. ahead, Jim. No, you go no, ahead. No, no, no. I want to hear your question on that. Well, I'm just wondering um, what our blind spots are because, you know, I think a lot of leaders would say, well, yeah, you know, I encourage everybody to speak up and I have an open door policy. And yet I just don't see a whole lot of this psychological safety in schools. And so I'm just wondering, like, what are we doing that is inhibiting people from feeling like they can contribute and have that safety um, that we don't even realize maybe that we're doing? Right. Oh, you know, who knows? Because everybody's a little bit different there. And to unpack that would be different. But one thing that strikes me when I think about education is the whole, I mean, not just internal to your school, you've got You've got dynamics that are coming from a district office. You've got dynamics coming from a community. You've got dynamics coming from the legislature. So, you know, it's the crosshairs really feel like they're pointed Mm -hmm. (laughs) at, you know, people in education, particularly the people in the classroom who are doing the boots on the ground work every day. They're where the rubber meets the road. And so it's a complicated system. The only thing you can control is what you can control. So you have to start somewhere and you start with your teams and you think that you're doing all the right things. Of course, we always think I'm a great person. I'm a friendly person. I'm an open person. But, you know, it's not just that. People are being held back, not just by us as leaders, but they don't want to stick out to their colleagues again. So it's the whole group um, that's playing into this. So when I work with people on psychological safety, there's a lot of work around the dynamic of the team. And again, going back to psychological safety, it's very team oriented. So you can have a very wonderful culture in in an entire organization, but there can be a few teams it within that culture who don't have psychological safety. Right. And there's an instrument to measure that by the way, that comes from Amy Edmondson, the researcher at Harvard. Um, So you could also have a really bad culture overall in an organization, however you want to define bad, but there can be teams within that awful culture who do have psychological safety just because of the way uh, the leader is running that team and how the people are engaged on that team. So one of the things to really engage people to take those personal risks is to model curiosity and ask a lot of questions. So I think, you know, when I think about my own leadership style, I probably, I tend more towards uh, feeling like I have to have all the answers and wanting to just give people the information And really, that kind of stymies people. So to really just, even though you you figure that you know the answer, to to ask questions about where people's thinking is, what assumptions they're making about it, you know, what their what part of their experience has informed their current opinion on it. Um, Would they be open to something different if certain variables changed? You know, just curious you know, be curious about how that other person is experiencing whatever the topic or the issue is at hand. And I want to follow up and say, 
you know, besides asking questions, I mm-hmm. I recognize that there are times when administrators in schools, we get so busy that I don't think we actually do the next part, which is listening. Mm. You yeah. know what I mean? Like people have to feel heard and they have to feel like th- that you've taken the information, that you're trying to help make improvements, that you're showing some at least signs that the information that they shared with you was worthwhile and that you're taking it into consideration and maybe helping to make some change. Um, I think that we as a, like a organization, if you will, as education, we, we get this like, you know, pressure about we've got to get through the material and this happens mm-hmm. at the classroom level as well as the building level and sometimes even district level, right? That we don't take time to complete that conversation. Absolutely. And silence is your best friend. I remember back in the day, because I used to be an elementary classroom teacher back in the 80s and early 90s. And um, way back when, you know, I always tell people like if I would not go into education today, when I look back at the kind of teaching I was doing back in the eighties and early nineties, I was like, yeah, I would flunk out of teaching today. (laughs) But, but back then, you know, there was the concept of wait time where, Mm -hmm. you know, you ask the the class a question and instead of just taking the first hand that goes up, you you just kind of hold off for three, four, five seconds and let the kids um, have time to think about it. And so I think silence can be very powerful and, can then give people the space to then say what's on their mind. I mean, I was watching myself even when I was going through the psychological coaching certification training with these mm-hmm. 18 other people who are all lovely people, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, and I found myself like, well, I'm just going to see, I'm going to just like observe for a bit and kind of see which way the wind is blowing. Right. So Mm -hmm. there are some people on your teams that they're just not going to volunteer things very readily. They want to sit back and wait, Mm -hmm. see which way the wind is blowing before Mm -hmm. they stick their neck out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell a success story of psychological safety, maybe an organization that you've worked with? You don't have to name any names, of course, but uh, just a a story where you went into work with a group and, um, focused on psychological safety and how that went, what kinds of things they made changes to in the organization that made the difference? Well, one, one of the easy things, um, and you know, maybe this isn't a, a big thing, but one of the first kinds of things, you know, I would intervene with a group on, particularly if, the psychological safety, uh, what we do an assessment and it comes back and we can get an aggregated group assessment for a team and see kind of where the issues are. And one of the areas is in having open conversations. And so one thing I did with a group was uh, we used Cantor's four-player model. And that is to look at the communication styles of the people on the team. Um, and so the communication styles are mover, um, see now I'm going to fritz out here, bystander, um, follower and opposer. So there are some people who move like they're, they just, they'll volunteer anything. They (laughs) always want to like move forward and get stuff out there. Then there are opposers who will push back and say, no, that's not right. What you just said, no, you don't even know what you're talking about. Right. (laughs) So they'll push back. 
Then there are followers who are the people there who they're just happy to make things happen. So once a decision's made, they're just waiting because they're going to help you achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. And then there are bystanders. And the bystander, it's kind of a misnomer, I think, in a certain way. But bystanders are really good, at again, at observing what's going on. And they can say, oh, I heard that this was really important to you when you just said that. And and this other person over here, I heard something different was um, important. So I want to hear more about, you know, the differences between you. So they're observing the conversation and helping to make meaning. Uh, about those things. So in doing that with this team, it's amazing how people go, oh my gosh, yes, that's my dynamic. Sometimes you'll find leaders, and we did in this case, the leader um, was both a mover and a poser. So the leader would just start saying, well, this is what I think we could do. And then then they'd start shooting down their own idea. Like they're sort of like going, okay, I can see all the downsides to it. So they were having their own move oppose conversation while everybody else is like, what, what are we supposed to do here, right? So what you want is um, uh, a lot of, you want all four of those different kinds of communication styles coming into play to make decisions. So that's just an, a small example. Since I'm fairly new to this work and getting into it, that's just one example I can say. And it was really a revelation to them. So now people would start to say, okay, I'm just going to step into the role of bystander for a minute. You know, so they started to like really um, understand the way the conversation was going and to even say, I'm going to consciously tell you what role I'm in so that everybody understands what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And to purposely assume some of those other roles, um, right, that, that, that are not normal for you, right? right? That's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, that's exciting uh, to see that happen with the group. If you were to be back in a school and, uh, you know, providing leadership yourself and you recognize that uh, psychological safety isn't maybe in place. So I'm I'm thinking about, for instance, I'm, I'm new in a school and um, – in my mind, sometimes conversations are taking place, but they move to the parking lot, right? Mm-hmm. And Or they move into other settings or sometimes even online, but they aren't mm-hmm. really out front. How would, you, how would you try to create a space that allowed that to, to happen um, in the midst of, you know, teaching kids? Right. So am I a teacher or am I a principal. I'd probably say principal because we're focusing a lot on the leadership aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, um, if, if I, as a principal suspect or have some inkling, because sometimes these parking lot conversations don't happen in front of Mm -hmm. the principal, right? Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes I just walk over and I just get involved. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just go, Hey, stop talking to the parking lot. No, no more. I just picture I have my coat on and I hang out. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I uh, would kind of bring it up maybe in a team meeting. I mean, and I at a faculty meeting perhaps and just share a concern. Uh, you know, maybe I have some something to say, like, you know, remember in our last meeting, it got a little uh, heated or whatever the adjective is when we were talking about X, Y, Z. And I just felt like um, we didn't really finish that conversation or that there were more opinions in the room that didn't get expressed. And I just want to say that um, I know it's tempting 
to not say what you need to say when we're together because you feel like um, this isn't maybe the right place or you don't feel confident in what you're going to say or you feel like it will upset people. But um, we need to embrace conflict. And that's another thing I would say about leaders as an aside here is that you have to get used to uncertainty and conflict and just know that it's going, it has to be your best friend because there's an old saying, there's no movement without friction. (laughs) And so you don't advance unless there is some kind of conflict of ideas because it's out of that conflict, the conflicting ideas that we, we find the way forward. And so I think as much as possible talking about how, this is the place to bring that up and a model like don't punish people. Don't tell people that mm-hmm. their idea is silly or awful or weird or it won't work. Mm-hmm. You know, so saying that's an interesting idea and then asking those curious questions, those questions of curiosity to say, tell me more about that. How did you come to that? What are you assuming there? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also when people, sometimes people will come to you as a leader after a meeting and say, I didn't want to say this in the meeting, but, right? (laughs) And then at that point, the way you treat that is another way to model what you expect and to say, you know, I'm glad you're saying this, but I'm a little, I'm concerned that you didn't bring it up in the meeting when we were all together. Mm -hmm. So would you like me to put that issue back on the agenda again so that you can bring this point up? That might be an option. If a decision has already been made, you know, you're going to have to say something like the decision has already been made. And I'm concerned that we didn't hear your thinking on this. Mm -hmm. It may have it may have um, led to a different decision. Mm -hmm. So at this point, what do you think the most um, the best way forward is with this information that you have or with your opinion? You know, so it's really to, to really holding people accountable to be the adults that we're supposed to be. And, you know, which is hard sometimes. Right. Sure. Um, because we all have our stuff. Um, and to say, I expect people to bring their stuff and we're going to hash it all out and we're not going to criticize each other for thinking differently. We're going to be curious about why, you know, what led that person to that particular perspective. Perfect. Great example. Yeah, Thank that, you. That is great. So, Beth, how would people like me <laughs> reach out to you for some support um, as leaders, either in education or outside of education? Because you don't work a lot with uh, educational leaders, but you certainly have a wealth of knowledge that I think could benefit any educational leader. So how would people uh, get in touch with you? Well, you can go to my website, which is firebrandconsultingllc.com. And um, there you can uh, find a way to contact me, see some stuff that, you know, that I work on with people. And uh, yeah. We That's can go great. From there. We'll also put a link on our website, which is littlethingsfirst1st.com, so people can um, take a look at, find out a little bit more about what you do. Or it sounds like lurkers like Jim can find you on LinkedIn. LinkedIn <laughs> for sure. Right. If if uh, I don't know Tracy, if we're are we 
Are you on LinkedIn? I'm, or I'm, you're not very active. I'm a, LinkedIn, I'm a barely involved LinkedIn, but that's going to change sometime soon. Yeah, I'm trying to get her more involved in social media. <laughs> <laughs> we all have to recognize our weaknesses and embrace them and continue moving forward. <laughs> that's right. You can conquer LinkedIn. There's psych- we can create some psychological safety there Thank you. you. Thank you both. <laughs> Thank you both for creating that space for me. It's been so great talking to you, Beth. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, guys. Great it's, to talk to you. It's great to connect. Thank you for taking time out of your day to be with us. All righty. Have a good rest of your weekend. Okay. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.